0: Hello and welcome to the High View Podcast, a gospel-centered conversation exploring theology, culture, and life in the local church. I'm your host Tyler Sweat, the pastor of Connection and Community at High View Church, and today I am joined by the one and only Pastor Chad Williams. Chad, how's it going, man? Hey,
1: buddy, how are you this morning? I'm
0: I'm doing okay. I'm I'm a <laughs> on the struggle bus a little bit. Woke up to a busted computer. Yeah,
1: Tyler's laptop died oh man this morning
0: just blank screen yeah with a little it looks like a little busted part at the top so it's no good so yeah i'm i'm in mourning today but uh it's okay
1: but we're still we're we're still gonna talk about jesus hey still yeah about
0: we don't exist for apple products alone. that's right Amen. <laughs> oh yeah well, thankfully Today on the podcast, we're going to be exploring our past couple of sermons uh, from Pastor Chad. So glad to have him yeah. here to uh, to unpack some of the deeper elements as we dig a little deeper into these past couple of sermons uh, through uh, Hebrews, the end of chapter four through the beginning of chapter six. So hopefully you've been able to check out those sermons. If you haven't, please visit our website, TV slash sermons. And there you'll see a catalog of all of our messages you can find the Hebrew series there as well. Yeah,
1: you can go to the app
0: as well. Yeah, yeah. I know several people
1: that use the app. Absolutely. During the week. Absolutely. Absolutely. The while they're uh, <laughs> driving or whatever, they're they're listening to, to content there.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so,
1: uh, yeah, different ways to get our content for sure.
0: Sure. Yeah, so go listen to those uh, those messages. And if you haven't listened to the series, it's been pretty pretty great. I know there's been a lot of great uh, features. A lot of
1: lighthearted stuff, really. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Just kind of, you know, hanging mm-hmm. out,
0: talking about Jesus here, or there. Sure. Also, uh, some pretty, pretty intense. pretty intense Good. passages in, in the book of Hebrews.
1: Yeah, I, I was joking. It's uh it's extremely uh, deep, um, challenging, convicting book. I mean, yeah. there's just no way around it. Yeah. Uh, and so much, uh, so much Old Testament. You know, you're interacting with the whole Bible as yeah. you're as you're reading. Uh, and, and studying this book, so you're you're interacting with with all of Scripture, um, everything from the Book of Genesis to uh, Jesus as King to mysterious priest kings to mm-hmm. uh, the Levitical system. Uh, it's there's a lot. There's, yeah, there's a lot there, but uh, it's one of those books that if you really can grasp Hebrews, I feel like you'll have a pretty good grasp on your whole Bible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it kind of is a is a ribbon that ties everything together in a little nice little package uh, that shows kind of hey this is this is how we think about Old Testament and New Testament because uh, I know I, I struggled with that um, thinking about how all these things interconnected just because of the way I was taught the Bible um, I was taught the Bible in all these. Nice, cute little chunked up stories, and you, you yeah, read about, sure, you can read David and Goliath, and you can read about Jonathan and how he was a good friend, right. and then and again, oh, yeah, well, also Jesus died for your sins, and then yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, all yeah. very yeah. disconnected. Um, so it's kind of interesting to look back and say, okay, Moses is more than just the you know, the star of the prince of Egypt, uh, with that story, you know, uh, that more than just Abraham and his uh, journey, you know, it, it's all tied together, um, right. and more than just uh, what we're going to look at today from this first sermon, um, a Old Testament picture of uh, what they call their high priests and how they were instituted. Um, but no, that has great significance for how we view Jesus today and the role that he plays as Savior and Lord. So let's look at uh, our two weeks ago from when we are recording this, a sermon that was just called Our Great High Priest. Um, yeah. So kind of set us up uh, for looking at this passage, what were some of the context things that that kind of set us up for looking at Jesus as our great high priest?
1: Yeah, the the author of of Hebrews is presenting Jesus as this mediator figure who is going to ultimately represent humanity before God, making a a final sacrifice that will redeem fallen man. And so the, the... this this role Christ has as our great high priest is connected to this role as mediator to this yeah. to this specifically called appointed man of god who will make that sacrifice on behalf of his people and uh so so the author introduces that concept with the knowledge that his his audience knows what the high priest role was yeah 21st century Christianity typically probably doesn't know big, so, sh- big shrug so, right it, oh. it, it assumes like so it, it assumes that we we know so yeah. so there was a lot of teaching we had to do on actually the office of high priest and that was one of the more fascinating parts of the study for me is just digging into the role of high priest and uh specifically some of the qualifications for the high priest yeah and 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 I think one of the most important parts of that sermon and really that entire passage um, is the the concept of uh, Christ establishing a new priesthood and perfecting the old one at the same time. Mm. So, uh, and, and I, I talked about in the sermon, um, the high priest and the priesthood being formally established in Numbers 25, uh, and and Numbers twenty five captures this really important uh, event that happened in the wilderness where the Israelites fall into idolatry and uh, they they begin to worship uh, the false gods of the Canaanites and mm. uh, they worship Baal which is a a, a common lowercase G god yeah. uh, that keeps popping up uh, worshipped by the Canaanites and they make sacrifices to him and so on and so forth and so they so Israel falls into sin and the way. That that is remedied. God's judgment falls on on Israel, and the only way His judgment is kind of stayed, the only way His judgment is is dealt with or or uh, uh, stopped, is through this guy named Phineas, who was uh, a son of Aaron,
0: brother of Ferb. <laughs>
1: um, this this particular guy, um, actually kills, um. Two of the leaders of this um, idolatrous Baal cult. And, um, and in Numbers 25, uh, starting in verse uh, 10, the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eliziar, e- son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So he he was passionate for the glory of God alone and, and for God alone being worshiped. Mm. He was jealous with my jealousy among them. That's what that means so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him, the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So one of the big thoughts uh, about the priesthood to take away is that the priesthood was established by the death of the disobedient. Mm. So so the, yeah. the priesthood is established. The the, the Levitical priesthood in your old testament is established. Um, when the death of the disobedient satisfies the wrath of God mm. against the sins of the people. The priesthood in the New Testament is perfected by the death of an obedient one. Yeah. So so the old Old Testament, the shadow. Um, the priesthood that priesthood is established by the death of the disobedient, but the new one uh, is established by the death of the obedient, and uh, that fully satisfies God's wrath against the sins of His people. So, it's setting up this uh, really uh, critical connection between Jesus um, and His new priesthood, and uh, and actually how the first priesthood was established, which is which is interesting. So, I found all that fascinating. Yeah, um, diving into it. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, so that's that's one thing that uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That we we have to um, we have to take take looks back to see what um, what the context of the Old Testament picture really was. I think for right. for a lot of us, um, we are um, you know, we're, we're kind of strapped into our 21st century mindset, um, and so we've got to take take into account what the actual biblical picture is. And so I was glad we, that we kind of dug into a little bit of the history of that role, that position. Um, so kind of talk to, speak to the function of the, the high priest. What What is it that the high priest did for the people, and how does that point to what Christ has done?
1: Yeah, the most important job of the high priest was on the Day of Atonement. Once a year, uh, he would make a sacrifice for himself because he was not without sin. Uh, and then he would go into the Holy of Holies uh, in the tabernacle, hmm. Um, where the Shekinah presence of God dwelt, and He would make atonement for the sins of the people by making this once a year sacrifice. Yeah, and um, I, I talked about it a little bit in the sermon. That was a really dangerous job, uh, because yeah, um, that's why the 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 high priest wore bells so they could still hear him in the Holy Holies moving around, make sure he wasn't right. killed by God when he walked in. Um, and so he he was um in the very presence of god in the holy of holies in the tabernacle making the sacrifice once a year and so that concept of of a mediator a priest making a sacrifice that's uh, on behalf of others mm. is is the key theological theme being kind of presented there yeah um and being connected with jesus who make who goes into the holy of holies of heaven uh, the holiest of holies if yeah. you will yeah. and makes a final sacrifice for his people and then what's really cool about that is he he goes beyond the veil but then he his work pulls the veil uh open for us right and gives us access as well so um yeah, the, the function of the high priest, I think if you don't understand what the Old Testament says about the function of the high priest, you're not going to understand why it's a big deal yeah. that Jesus is the high priest, right? the and I, great high priest. I
0: think the word you just used there that's always uh, kind of been a significant description to me is is the word access, because uh, the people did not have direct access to God. Um, they had to go through that mediary. Uh, they had that's to right. bring a sacrifice. That, that person had to go and offer um, a, an ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the people for the year. And then the people would kind of come and bring their little sacrifices throughout the year to the, to the priest to make those. And it was all an issue of access to God. God was ruling and reigning over his people, but they kind of had to go through some steps to get to him. And so the picture of that torn veil that we have in Jesus is that we now have access we are a kingdom of priests that's right um, that we get to come before him not not to make our own sacrifices but because the ultimate sacrifice has already been made yep once and for all that's right yeah amen so uh last thing about this particular sermon i wanted to to highlight you you how you spent a lot of time talking about the word have since we have a great high priest uh, kind of being the application point for us um what why does that matter that uh that we have a great high priest and and what does it mean for us that that jesus is our high priest today
1: wow um for a full explanation of that check out highview.tv slash sermon right right um no, that's a great that's a great question and that, that was a really um that was a really important point this is a continual work that jesus does in heaven that that um on the cross jesus uh completes the redemptive work in one respect and that he yeah. pays for the sins of his people and he he uh, redeems his people through that that work uh that sacrifices once for all and actually later on in hebrews the writer of hebrews would be like don't don't try to crucify jesus again yeah um yeah you know we don't want to have any of that but the appropriation of that work, so uh, the actual application of that work, the the pleading of his own blood, uh, the um, the the actual atoning work that he does as the high priest in heaven is a continual yeah. thing, and uh, and so that's really good news because Jesus' continuing priestly function gives us confidence that we we are continuing to be saved, and that was the uh, right we're being saved to the Second Corinthians fifteen um two you're you you are being saved right. Uh, right if you hold fast to the word I preach to you stuff so uh that's a that's a really important thing I, I continue to be saved and know I am yeah because Christ continues to intercede on my behalf and uh, and and it's a little bit of uh um uh, John ten uh no one snatches them out of my hand yeah he, he continues to, uh, to save us right, uh, by his own power and by his work.
0: R- right, which is an interesting kind of, I know, for me, thinking about how I was presented the gospel and, and kind of the ongoing relationship that I have to what Christ has done has always been, um, well, he, he died for your sins in the past. Right. And then I, right. I, one day, you know, the hour I first believed, my sins were forgiven, and then now I'm just living by faith. Um, but living by faith in what? Uh, living by faith in the in the fact that yes, Jesus died but also was risen and now sits at the right hand of God interceding for me uh, that, right. that he, I, that's a really interesting yeah. um it's a continuation of uh, you know that he's he's still working on our behalf. he's still right interceding for his people. he's still sanctifying us um that in one sense his his work for us is complete, uh, but his yeah. work in us is is not. He's still sanctifying us and the gospel does that like he's his blood is still being as you said he's still pleading his own sacrifice over us yeah we talk
1: about like what faith is it's trusting jesus trusting his finished work yeah um it it means that faith is faith is a declaration not only that we we have been to this point saved by christ's work yeah but that we will continue to be yeah now what's the basis of that the basis of my continuing to believe I'm going to be saved until the end, that I, I continue, I will, I will persevere. That I'm not going to wake up one morning and yeah. lose this is tied directly to the fact that Jesus won't stop doing His priestly work. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, so my confidence in my and my eternal security and my assurance yeah. is rooted in Jesus isn't going to stop doing what He's doing. He's not going to fall down on the job. He's not yeah. going to just one day go, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Ah, I'm out. See <laughs> yeah. you later. Um, that's good. That he'll continue to do that. So then, so I know my assurance is as sure as Christ's reliability to do his job. Yep. yep. So, so I'm, so I'm, I trust that, you know, I believe
0: that. Mm. That's good. And so that kind of ties us over into our sermon from this past week on mother's day, which we had a wonderful mother's day Sunday. Yeah, it was, it was um
1: fantastic.
0: Yeah. Lots of, lots of great things. Uh, shout out to the, the ladies that came and decorated and yeah, it was um, great. Yeah, it was, it was it was great. It's good time. So um, the author of Hebrews kind of makes an interesting pause here um, to, to say, hey, we could talk a lot more about Jesus being the high priest and what that means for us. And even us talking about it here, like we're, get, we're getting pretty deep into what Christ has done, what he's doing, you know, what that role means, how it ties to the Old Testament. And he stops in verse 11 and says, about this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, so that kind of I think gives us all we can like take a breather. Like some of this stuff is hard; it's hard to think about, it's hard to to comprehend. Um, but he says it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Uh, so what uh, what are we getting into in this next section of scripture? We we talked about this sermon was titled growth. Um, so since Christ you know has done his work on the cross, is doing his priestly work, uh, he's calling us into a life of of growth in in Christ likeness and, and what right. all that means. Um, but right. the author sure. seems to have this uh, view of his audience that like, hey guys, you you're not where you should be. Like you've heard the gospel, you've been walking in these things for a while, but you're still very immature. So let's yeah. set us up for this this sermon. What yeah, he, was well you just about?
1: you did a great job with it. I think that that's that's uh and actually he goes he goes really into the deep end right before this. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of, uh, how I, I, set up the, the sermon, um, is by looking at the, the text there in Hebrews five, seven through 10, where it talks about Jesus, uh, being the son who learned obedience through what he suffered and was made perfect and mm-hmm. was designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, this mysterious priest King that we're about to start talking about. Yeah. And he goes into to he really starts going into the deep end, and then he just pumps th- the brakes and goes. L- let me uh, let me just stop right here. Um, okay, let me back up. Uh, the ABCs of the Christian faith are you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. He he really stops himself, and he re- it's almost like there's this uh, this very like, of course, under the inspira- under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this very human moment of like. <sighs> exasperation, even, yeah, and just yeah. kind of like frustration a little bit, and like uh, you know, I would go further into this, but I, I know that you're not going to be able to track with me on this because you're just not spiritually mature enough to to, yeah. to go there. And uh, and so that kind of sets up the passage, um, and you know, he gets into um, and it really diagnoses the the main issue that this church was struggling with. Yeah. Like and and, and I, I made mention of that in the sermon that so far every single one of these spiritual issues we've been looking at, yeah. hard heartedness and failing to interrest and um not considering Jesus and, you know, the the list is long. Drifting yeah. spiritually and all these other things. Yeah. Those were all symptoms of the disease of spiritual maturity. They they're their fundamental problem in this church. They were not spiritually mature. Yeah. And it was leading to angel worship and hero worship and all types of problems right, right. in the church. But he's like, well, here's the here's the diagnosis. You guys, here's what's wrong with you. You're spiritually mature. Um and uh and and that's why he says it's about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. You literally have no pull, no desire uh for the things of God. So um he addresses that and um, and, and I thought one of the most important parts of that passage is they had become dull yeah hearing. yeah and it introduces that concept of change that you can change without growing right that, that's a huge part of this
0: yeah and that was uh one of the the things we spent a little bit of time on and even had a nice uh graphical picture of this courtesy of Tyler sweat no I, this is uh this is all you man the uh the the picture of a, a spectrum between regression, obviously kind of walking away, pulling back from, you know, not really caring anymore is the way that you kind of put it or toward growth. uh, You can change along that spectrum and you will change along that spectrum. Um, One of the things that that I kind of found, uh, I really found helpful that you said was, you know, that ultimately if you compare your life today to a year ago, you're going to be different. Whether you grew or not is is the matter is a question, right? Because you're not going to be the same. Uh, that were you know obviously over this last year there were um, lots of significant life-changing things right. uh, culture shifting things that cause us Absolutely. all to respond in some way think about in a you know in the uh, a biblical context hopefully but you know we all had to respond to this last year in some some way um, did we grow or did we regress into this so I'm gonna think worldly I'm gonna Pursue worldly comforts. I'm yeah. going to.
1: Sunday mornings aren't that important. I can watch it online. Yeah. Yeah. To. Right. What what communities and inconvenience. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All those types. But things. even
0: without a, a worldwide pandemic, even yeah. without life changing circumstances, we are always changing along this spectrum. We're always allowing something to affect either our um, desire for Christ and Christ likeness or the, the desire for worldly comforts, worldly pleasures where we're kind of always meandering in that spectrum, which is kind of frustrating.
1: Yeah. I think one of the most important questions in the sermon that, that I think the passage raises is how are you changing? Yeah. Like, so, so just assuming you're changing, like with that understanding to, to know whether you're regressing or growing, you have to identify how you're changing. Yeah. Like, so what affections are there that are not there that were not there two or three years ago or, or, um, you know, does your sin, I gave you a list of kind of diagnosed kind of diagnostic questions like, uh, does your sin grieve you more or less than it used to, mm. you know, are you growing theologically? Do you have a deeper hunger to know God's word than you did? Are you more likely to spend time in prayer, more generous, less generous? Like you get the idea, you know? Um, yeah. and, uh, and so yeah, embrace that's, that, that was a huge thought. Introduced by this passage, that they had become this way, yeah. that they were not always apparently this way. That that's—I'll be honest—like that's terrifying. Yeah, like yeah. that—that's terrifying that you can become dull of hearing. Right. Like I, I think that we, you know, another really important part of that 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 passage is understanding the difference in spiritual infancy and spiritual maturity. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual infancy is a is a stage of development. Mm-hmm. Spiritual maturity is regression in spiritual development. Right. Right. And those are two different things. So, this is what's wild. You can't become a spiritual infant again. So, yeah. how long have you yeah. been saved? Were you, one of these people is like born saved, essentially. <laughs> like um, Josh Hildebrandt. No. Shout out to Pastor <laughs> right, Josh.
0: Right. Pastor Josh was just born into the covenant <laughs> family. Um, no, the, uh, I, basically, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school was when, um, I truly realized my need for the gospel, repented of sin, trusted Christ. And that's kind of the time. Okay,
1: so um, following that, you were a spiritual infant, right? You can't go back to being a spiritual infant. Yeah, you—you you, that was a stage of your development. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can, however, act like an infant right. and regress spiritually, right? And become spiritually immature
0: at, at some point it's all i mean i'm sure i don't have children but i, I know i had uh s- small siblings <laughs> young siblings i have cats that uh <laughs> sometimes they act very childish but i remember seeing my, my little brothers and sister or my brother and sisters um where there were times when my parents responded to something they did with like okay you you don't know this let me show right. you like don't touch the stove don't walk across like but then, at some point along the, their development, like it didn't become. Oh, you don't know anymore. It's like, what What are you doing? Why are right, you right. Why are you right. acting That's it. this way again? Yep. Like I, I've already told you, you already knew this. Why are you going back into? So, it, like at one point, there was like I think you mentioned this in the sermon. At one point, there was like a gracious response of yeah. like, okay, let me let me show you this. Let me w- walk alongside it because you don't know. Like you're growing in this. Like, you you don't know that it's not a good thing to you know cry and, and be selfish for whatever you want. But when you get to be, you know, in your teenage years, your adult years and you start crying out in public for, you know, cause you didn't get your way. Like that looks a little weird. Like, come on, man. That's right. not right. We're, yeah, we're, we're past, we should be past this, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great way to put it. Um, and so I, I think understanding the difference in spiritual infancy and spiritual maturity is, is critical. You can't become a spiritual infant again you can become spiritually immature. Yeah, and uh, one of the one of the great lines that I came across last week in study was uh, on this issue was a guy named William Barclay who said mm. there's a difference in childlike and childish. Yep. Yep. Um, and so, so you can take the same, um, the same activity or the same uh, habit that a spiritual infant is struggling with. Mm. Okay. If that and they're being childlike in a way. They're they're learning and they need correction and growth and they need, you know, they need guidance. Right. Um, you take someone that's been saved for twenty years and they're doing the exact same thing, you have spiritual maturity.
0: Right. Right.
1: And you have childish. They're being childish. That's yeah. Spiritually. Um same thing, same activity. Yeah. One is just at a a stage of development where that's normal. Mm -hmm. So they drink milk. That's what they do. That's at the stage of development they're at. Right. But the you know the uh, the illustration I gave on uh, like walking into a nice restaurant and everyone's dressed like Baby Huey and it's yeah. just a bunch of adults sipping huge bottles yeah that's weird right that's not normal and so that's childish behavior yeah um, and so understanding that I think it keeps us patient with those who are new to Christianity and those who are new believers but also. Um, it keeps us from allowing there to be this perpetual adolescence yeah. or spiritual infancy that goes on and on. And they never grow up. These people who have been in the church for a long, long, long time and they never—they just never grow spiritually. And they don't know why.
0: Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that that you uh, we're talking about with, of course, the, the way that the author here talks about these believers is that for this by this time you ought to be teachers. Um, and you, you took a minute to talk about okay, should all Believers, should all Christians be preachers that stand up front and teach from the pulpit? Probably not. Um, but in some sense, every Christian ought to be a teacher because of our concept of discipleship. We are, you are to be pouring into others. And I think one of the, the things that really I've seen in my own life is uh, yeah, that there's a direct connection to that reality of when I'm regressing, it's first of all because I'm either, like you mentioned, infrequent inflow of, of being discipled um, someone pouring into me. Uh, but also I'm not really caring about someone else's spiritual growth. Like I'm not pouring into other people. And so that's, that's absolutely, um, that's a a direct correlation I've seen in my life between the the seasons where I do see growth and change in toward Christ likeness. Uh, there's a lot of discipling activity. Um, I'm being mentored by someone I'm really caring about the discipleship, someone else, Um, but on those times when I'm regressing, I'm usually very spiritually lazy in, uh, relationships that are feeding me and also relationships where I'm pouring out into others.
1: That's been one of the most fascinating, uh, surprising responses to the sermon I've heard all week Mm. because I've I've heard several people I've had conversations with, uh, that have, have mentioned, like, I need to be pouring into people. Yeah. I think that's what. Like, I yeah. think so often we we think that when we're in a spiritual funk, the problem is we're not learning enough, mm-hmm. and usually the problem is we're not teaching enough. Yeah, yeah. Like it can be you're not learning enough, but I've also found that people who are pouring out are much more hungry to learn.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: E- even if it's just like because I need to have something to teach these people, <laughs> yeah, right? You know right. What I mean, there, there's yeah. a there's a built in mechanism. Like I need something to pour out, so you're you're more likely to to want to learn. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's been an interesting, uh, an interesting point of application and conversation I've had this week is, is people saying like, you know, I, I I think I've identified why I'm struggling spiritually and it's not what I thought. Mm -hmm. It's not that I'm not learning. It's that I'm not teaching. And, uh, and so I found that interesting.
0: Yeah. So the, uh, the picture, the word picture that's painted here in this passage is these immature believers are continually in need of milk, which we all. Ultimately, in this picture, is associated with infants because that's what infants drink. They drink milk because not right. you're not going to see a two month old you know chewing on a flamin' yawn like that's not that's not how that works. Um, but the same right. same time, um, you know, you should be in this the progressive picture of this. Like, there's a time when you should develop the the teeth and the the digestive system where you yeah. can you can un- you know, take in the deeper things, the the meatier things, if you will. Um, now. We're, we're not going to hopefully not get canceled by, by vegans for, for talking about (laughs) the need to eat meat. You know, that's not, uh, it's not a point of the passage. I don't think is not uh, arguing for, uh, whether or not you should be a a meat eater or not. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think you should. I I think that's a direct application of this passage. Everyone go out and buy a steak today. Um, (laughs) But no, uh, one of the uh, the ways we landed the sermon, uh, of course, the, the main two sections were first, uh, we grow because of the things we, we know, the things that we are learning, right. that we're taking no- in. Knowledge is the... Knowledge, yeah. yeah. Um, the first step. But that's not all of it. It's not right. just about learning the things that, that... It's the
1: first step, it's not the final one. Yeah,
0: exactly. So tell us why you know we, we kind of landed on this point of application, the things yeah. that we put into practice. And you talked about this gap between the things we know And the things we apply, why is it so important to actually get to the place of application of the things we know?
1: That's how spiritual maturity is described in Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by what? Knowledge? That's not what he says. Yeah. Uh, He's already talked about knowledge. Trained by
0: reading blogs, (laughs) listening to podcasts.
1: Basement blogging and discernment blogs. Yeah. Uh, No, by constant practice. Yeah. So practice of what practicing of the knowledge that he's already talked of about of discernment, so, yeah. Right. So, so spiritual maturity is um, developed in us as we apply mm-hmm. the knowledge we have gained of the scriptures. That's how you close that gap yeah. between what we know and what we apply. Ideally, there is no gap between what we know and what we apply. We know there is a, there is a gap. Yeah, that's yeah. the gap's called the growth gap or sanctification right you know the, the, right. The, the christian life is lived in that gap mm-hmm. um and so it but it uh, does explain why the wider that gap is the more spiritually mature someone is right um and and so you know the way, way we kind of landed it was um that that connects between knowledge and obedience um as your obedience um tracks with your knowledge as mm-hmm. your as your that's where you see growth yeah yeah. Um, and, and the way I kind of summed it up was, um, how do we grow spiritually? Uh, we know as much as we can about the Bible and apply as much as we can about the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that simple. It's right. not, it's not right. easy, but it's simple. It's simple to understand. We know as much as we can about the Bible, know yeah. it back to front and then live in a way that would apply that knowledge as consistently as possible. Yeah. And we'll see growth.
0: Right. What, what are the things that, I was kind of thinking about is with this chart that we kind of put together with, you know, you have knowledge as the, the y-axis and, and obedience or application as the x-axis and kind of growth is the equal tracking of those things. Like as you're growing in knowledge and growing in obedience, you're going to be growing toward, toward Christ likeness um, The problem with that is it's much easier to quote unquote grow in knowledge than it is to grow in obedience. So I think with the immature Christian, we see like not a ton of, we're not going farther out on the, the spectrum of obedience, but you might go super, you know, uh, super high on the the knowledge spectrum. And so that kind of looks like, oh, well, I know a lot about the scriptures. I know, I know who Melchizedek is. He's, you know, you can kind of quote the passage. He's in, the, you know, this, w- w- whatever. Um, but then it's like, okay, w- why? Why? Like, what's the, what's the point? what, what is yeah. no, What is the knowledge doing for you and in you?
1: Yeah, and, and on the flip side, on the obedience side, the the people who are typically further along in the obedience side, here's what I found just through observation. If their knowledge level is really low, that obedience is hard to
0: sustain. Yeah, yeah.
1: That they run into lots of problems, yeah. lots of gaps. Right. Lots of just like, I don't know. And, and their obedience drops because they don't know if that's biblical or not. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Like, What is obedience? It's living in accordance with the scriptures, right? Right. So there's going to become points of time where you don't know what's the biblical option, right? So you're not always going to get that right, or your obedience is limited by your knowledge, in a sense. Right.
0: Yeah, you don't know either what the most biblical thing is, or why it's good to continue doing the biblical thing.
1: Right. So you'll have someone who maybe they're low on the knowledge side of the spectrum um and and relatively high on the obedience side of the spectrum. Yeah. People like that I've seen, um, maybe they don't know the importance of the local church. So they wind up being a lot they, they just don't have a lot of knowledge of why that's central. Right. Right. So they, they obey, obey, obey and you see like patterns of obedience in their life, but it always kind of gets capped at points because they're doing it alone. Yeah. Or they're they're not yeah. connected to a body of believers. Or whatever it is, I mean, there's just a thousand ways that works itself out. There's yeah, more than that, but right, um, oh yeah. But you're right. They're they're understanding the interaction and how obedience and knowledge work together to mm-hmm. grow us. They're not they're not kind of you know one group is into esoteric, uh, like <laughs> yeah, kind of deep thinking, and they're you know and and people mm-hmm. who are really into doctrine are typically like like to read and yeah. and just learn things. They're learners, you know, and then you got people who are just like followers. They're just like, Tell, what does Jesus want me to do? Right. And I'll do that. Right. And you're making this too hard. And, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, but but seeing like how those two things actually are go hand in hand, you, you can't fundamentally separate them. They're essential parts of the spiritual life uh, is really
0: important. Right. Well, uh, perhaps in the words of great theologian Shia LaBeouf, just do it. Just do it. Just read your Bibles and just do it. Just do the things that you know to do.
1: That's one of the first staff meetings you ever attended. When mm. You played that video.
0: Yep. I just. It's one of the greatest uh, assets to my spiritual maturity. Was, it's Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> just do it. Oh man. And what an encouraging note to end on. <laughs> we've, here we are, we've been talking about the scriptures, the and deep then, things of God. Yep. And then what, then is, what is Shia? What is Shia? I, I don't know. What's this. he up to these days? I'm not sure. Hope he's doing um, well. Yeah. But we're uh, lots <laughs> <Thoughts> of <and> prayers. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, thank you so much for tuning in. We we're with us in the Ivy uh, Podcast. Hope this has been beneficial to you. Uh, Hopefully you've you've been uh, listening with us. And hey, again, uh, go and check out these sermons. Uh, They've they've been super beneficial to me and I know to many in our church. Um, But we just like to sit and talk a little more about these things because ultimately these sermons are how we, uh, one of the ways we continually know more about the scriptures and talk about how to apply them in community together that's right Um, so if you're in our area if you're in the west georgia uh, area we want you to come check us out Uh, you can visit highview.tv and find more information about how you can visit Uh, if you're listening to this and you're in new york or zimbabwe or wherever you find yourself we're thankful that you're listening as well Uh, we hope that you will give us a nice rating and review share these with your friends and we'll see you in the next one